Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. We're in a series called Persevering Together. Persevering Together, it's a study on 1 Peter. We started last Sunday. And uh, we're going to dive back into that today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Let's talk about, as we're persevering together for just a moment, just a little bit of why this was written. 1 Peter was written to a church going through very difficult times. They experienced it. If you dig back in, you're going to see they experienced persecution. It scattered them through all regions of the world. The apostle Peter explains how to endure in such a situation, and a key component of, the, of that fact is that they did it together. Can you say that word with me, together? Together. Let's say it again. Together. They went through it together and not separate. And so maybe you today are in a challenging situation in your life. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe your job is not going well. You have health problems, something you're struggling with that just won't go away, and your problem just makes you feel so isolated and alone. Do you know that we live in such a day so interwoven, connected through the internet, but we are the most isolated and alone generation ever? What? You know this. That's not new information to you. I'm just bringing it back to the surface. That's really the truth. And so the way that we go through this is knowing that we can do this together. We come together to press into a common hope in Jesus Christ. I've read this that when a herd of cows senses a storm coming, they actually run away from it, scattering as they go. And of course, then you know the storm always catches up with them and especially hard on them when they are alone. But buffalo... By contrast, when they sense a storm that is coming, instinctively they do the opposite. They huddle together and they walk into the storm together. I'm sure their cow cousins think they're crazy, right? But this gives them a couple advantages, right? It's first, it shortens the storm for them because they're literally walking through it. Second, they find additional protection when they're being huddled together Third, their fur is thicker on the front side than on the back side, which gives them extra protection for the warmth that they are going through, which illustrates what we're going to talk about in 1 Peter again today is that together we persevere. We don't persevere when we are alone. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We're going to walk through the problems together. We're going to pass into them, and we're going to do it together. You know that all of the Christian's armor is designed to protect you when you engage the battle rather than run from it? And so that is very true when you look at the armor of God. It's not when you're going and going in the opposite of direction. There's no armor back here. Yes, God says in Isaiah, I'll be your rear guard, but there's no armor for the backside. But it's armor when you are moving forward and you're taking ground together. So last week we introduced the book by explaining the key identity in 1 Peter. Do you rem remember it? It's one word that we use, and I'll give you a little hit. The correct answer rhymes with textile. It's what? Exile. Right. Two of you were listening. <laughs> I've got work today. Two of you were listening. Two. It is exile. Some of your versions may say aliens, that you, are, you and I are literally aliens on this earth. Peter calls the people to whom he's writing exiles. 
We talked a little bit about this last week. An exile is someone from one place temporarily taking up residence in another. An exile is not an immigrant. An immigrant wants to make their new place of residence their permanent home. An exile is not wired that way, and it's not like that. That's what he's saying. Um, They may have lived in this new place for a while, but their heart still belongs to their home country. An exile is not a tourist either. So a tourist just passes through this new country with little concerns about the people around them, you know, except that they're just curious. You and I, you know, we've been, a, we've been tourists, right? We've been to a place. We've just got our cameras out. And we're just taking pictures, right? That's, you've seen that. Peter says we shouldn't be like tourists. We are exiles, and we're temporarily taking up residence in a place that is not a, our permanent home. Caring for it, for it, investing in it, but never losing our longing for home. And so we saw this. If you and I live as, as an exile, what does that mean? We talked about it means that you and I will be different. And uh, we know that as you see the difference that First Peter is going to talk about inside of our scriptures today is, you know, exile is spelled in the Greek really holy. You're different. You and I are wired different as a believer in Jesus Christ that you and I We're from a different place, we speak a different native language, and we hold a different set of values. Isn't that true for the believer? So let me use these 13 verses as we go through them today to talk about six commands that God has for you and for me as exiles. Six commands, if you're writing down or you're following along on our app, we have the fill-ins there. These are six things that you and I are called to do together to persevere. Number one, get dressed. Can you say that with me? Get dressed. Thank God every one of you got dressed this morning. You get dressed. He says, verse 13, with your minds ready for action. In the King James Version, it's translated as gird up your loins for action, which is literally what this word means. You're preparing yourself, and that is future-oriented. Gird up your loins. In other words, you need to dress for battle You ever shown up to a place and you were dressed totally wrongly? Really? You ever done that before? Like, you know, if you ever been asked to come over to help somebody who was doing construction and you show up thinking they invited you to a dinner party, you're going to be dressed different, right? In the same way as if somebody's, you know, needing you to help in battle, but you showed up with flip-flops on and, and a towel, I mean, you need to gird up your loins, Seriously, you need to gird up your loins. <laughs> I mean, you're going to feel silly at that moment. You'd be putting yourself in absolute danger, that's for sure. And so you know this is what you and I are called to do in spiritual matters as believers. Peter says, listen, there are many people that are not taking the battle seriously. Some Christian parents don't take seriously the battle that is going on for your kids' hearts and minds today. And it doesn't matter whether they're in public school private or they're in homeschool, God holds us responsible for shaping their hearts and to protect them from the lies of the enemy that is trying to seduce them. Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Listen, if I, I knew there was some type of predator on the loose in my neighborhood, you know, and I just let my kids out and completely unsupervised, how would I not be considered a neglectful parent? A far more dangerous enemy than any predator is hunting your child. He is Satan. And he's using the lies of culture to destroy them. 
He, here's what First Peter says. You need to wake up and you need to get dressed. Wake up, clothe your mind in scripture and bathe your heart in prayer. He's serious about this. Number two, lift your eyes. Can you say that with me? Lift your eyes. Together, we as the body of Christ need to learn to lift our eyes. Verse 13, and set your what? Hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about this last week, but Peter is urging us to set our hope exclusively on God and what he has promised to us as our inheritance. And what is that? That we will know Christ, that we will be like Christ, and one day we will get to be with Christ in a place where there is no more pain, struggle, or crying. He says, set your hope completely on those promises. Don't, don't uh, water it down. And many times what we can do is we water down our hope, like in our own lives, that God, yeah, I, I choose to set my hope on you, but I just want to be happy. And I just want you to provide for me. And I want you to do this. And I want you to give me good health and good kids and a great marriage and have lots of money. And then when God doesn't come through on those things, we accuse God of letting us down. And in fact, I just wonder today, maybe as I pose this question, you think about it and maybe answer it in your heart. What has to happen in your life for you to feel like God loves you and is keeping his promise to you? What is that? Have you identified that in your heart? Have you looked internally enough to say, what is that thing? And now, if you have that in your heart and your mind, um, I know that we probably want God to provide a lot of things. Health, success in my job. He's a good father, so I anticipate that he may give me a lot of those things, but my hope is in knowing Christ, being like Christ, and being with Christ. And so we know we're going to suffer, but in the suffering, even in knowing Christ, I will be satisfied because my hope is in who God is for me and what he is doing in me. Does that make sense? So yes, we pray. We ask God to bless and take care of us now, but put your hope in knowing who Christ is. Number three, don't look back. Can you say that with me? Don't look back. Together, we as the body of Christ need to learn to not look back. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. The message says, Bible says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Before you and I came to Christ, your life aspirations came out of a wrong way of looking at the world. Peter says, the desires of your former ignorance. Wrong desires that grew out of wrong ways by way which we looked at the world around us. You thought making a lot of money would make you happy. Then you saw what people who had a lot of money and they weren't the happiest people. You know, um, I, I have a coach and one of the things my coach asked us a couple weeks ago was, do you find yourself looking at your past rather than your future? And I would say, yes, there's many times that I'm caught, yeah, I'm probably looking at my past and what I didn't do right and, and my failures rather than being future-oriented. And I would say there's probably many of us that we are continually stuck looking behind us in our past rather than looking forward. 
Maybe you thought, well, romance is the key. You know, the, the movie star Matt Dillon said, most Hollywood people are relationship junkies. You get a high off a relationship like a drug, he says, and you crash off it. You go to the next hit or the next one. Or maybe you find where Katy Perry posted out on Instagram a few years ago, 100 million digital singles and still insecure. Maybe you thought it was in finding you being the best. You assumed that in life that you were in charge and, and that through it all, you weren't happy after all. Or maybe you're the one that considered the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is true, then the way of rebellion against God, we understand, leads only to death. And real life is only found in the resurrection of of Jesus. And so you turn your back on self-will, and you turn towards him in living a surrendered life. And you showed that by being baptized, declaring that you were buried to your old way of living, and now you are raised to new life in Christ. See, Peter is recognizing that it's easy for you and I to fall back into the old way of living. You sense some unhappiness or discontent, and it's easy to think, I just need more of this. I just need this for my living situation, and I just need more of that. Peter says, you've recognized this. It doesn't work. Don't go back there. Because why? He says, because those old desires that are behind us come out of ignorance. The former ignorance. You have desires that come out of wrong dealings with your heart and the emptiness in your heart. Don't go back to that old way of ignorance. Don't don't assume that I need more of this and more of that and more of this. Uh, You know, that I I just need to make more money. I I just need to get out of this marriage. I, I just need to get married in the first place. I just need to get even with this person. If you are unhappy today, would you press in to the hope of Jesus Christ being like Christ and being with him one day? And would you do this for just a moment with me? Would you fill in this blank? God, forgive me for continually running back to blank. My former ignorance. What is in that blank for you? God, forgive me for continually running back to this. Whatever it is, write it down, call it out, and let's die to that today together. Four, be holy. Can you say that with me? Be holy together. Verse 15, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, holiness, that's a strange word for us. It's not very attractive either because it conjures up all these images of sterile, boring, you know, colorless, whatever it may be. But, but think of holiness as this. It's wholeness. Holiness equals wholeness, which is where we get that English word. Holiness is holy, perfect goodness, holy, perfect justice, holy, perfect love. We are attracted to those things, aren't we? Perfect justice, perfect beauty, perfect love. That's what he's saying. God is pure goodness. So, so things like injustice, impurity, and deception are repulsive to him. That's for sure. That The Bible even says in Habakkuk, he can't even look at those things. He can't even look at them because they are repulsive to him. Think of the things that you 
look at, the things you see that are repulsive, torture, injustice, you see something presented, a movie or documentary on cruelty or abuse, the damages of marital infidelity or racial injustice. What happens that as Christians, we are called to react viscerally, right? That's what God is like with all unholiness. That holy word in in Hebrew, or excuse me, in in Greek, it, it means this, to literally cut away. You're a cut away from the world. That's what he's saying. You're cut away. You're separate, totally different. That's why you kind of feel a little different. As a a believer, that's normal. I just want you to know that, okay? It's normal to feel that way in the world that you live in. When you go into your workplace, well, I don't seem to exactly fit in here. Well, there's a reason for that. Because you and I are cut away. We're cut away from that. That we don't take part in that. We're not going to be a part of that in our mind and our thinking. And so as you look at this, this is what Peter is getting us to. You know what? The reason why you feel a little different? Oh, yeah, because you are, because you're holy. You know, and it's so important that we realize as we look at this, as we go through this, as we're persevering together, how in line are we with God? Are we in alignment with him or are we more in line, aligned with the world? This is Peter saying, you're cut away, so your alignment needs to be with God. And so are you aligned with God in the stewardship of your life and how you're giving to him? Is, is so in Leviticus, where Peter is quoting from with this command originally to be holy, God commanded the Israelites to leave the edges of their field unharvested. They were only to harvest the middle of the field and leave the edges easily accessible for the poor. So the poor would glean from those sections and eat. No one else in the ancient world did that. It's amazing. Farmers would, like most business owners today, try to wring out every last cent of profit from their yield. And so that's just smart business. But if you look in Leviticus, God wanted Israel to be different so that foreigners would walk past the Israelite field and say, why didn't you harvest the edges of your field? And they would say, it's because we serve a God who cares for the poor and shares with them, so we do that also. Listen, to be wealthy is not to be sinful, but you need to have edges and margin in your field. If you have a bigger field, you have more to harvest. You should have bigger edges. Are you sexually out of, out, out of sync with the world? Here are Augustine's words. Christians are most out of sync with the world in their relationship with three things, money, power, and sex. Wow. Are you out of sync with the world in how you handle gossip, in anger, in vengeance? Or do we try to avoid these things? Or do we try to remain whole in them? What did Christ do? He never sought vengeance. He confronted selflessly, patiently. He forgave, and then he moved on. And he kept no record of wrongs. I don't know about you, but thank God he keeps no record of wrongs. You know, and I think the thing is, is that our world is so full of undermining and gossip. This has made its way into the church. A gossip literally in the Bible is one who reveals secrets. Gossipers have the goal of building themselves up while making others look bad. What they do is when they do that, they exalt themselves. I think if anybody, when I see that, somebody's trying to put somebody down, what they're doing in their own heart is just trying to jack themselves up. He says, that's what a gossip does. 
They'll talk about somebody and they'll jack themselves up so that they'll put others down. And, and that is not holy. And to make others look bad. Gossipers speak of faults and the failings of others. And if we're to be a church that is to move forward and to be forward focused, it's time for the body of Christ to stop gossiping and listen to 50% of the story. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. There are a lot of people listening to things of gossip that should not be. And you're entertaining it. And let me tell you something. The Bible calls it seed of discord. And when the seeds of discord go in, there's a lot of problems because it spreads. He says, be holy and separate how you act. Show you have a different hope. You belong to God. You have a different perspective than everyone else around you. Number five, it's getting really quiet in here. Number five, stand in awe. Can you say that with me? Stand in awe together. Let's stand in awe. What's he saying? 17, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in reverence. Many of your translations say fear, which is what the Greek says here, during your time living as strangers. Literally, what he is saying is live in fear, which sounds maybe like the opposite of the gospel message. Perfect love casts out fear. We say, but the best way to think of fear here is awe. There should be a holy reverence. There should be a holy awe. Why stand in awe? We serve a God, he says, who judges impartially. Everybody's going to be judged fully and impartially based on what they did and what they didn't do. Nobody's going to get away with the injustice. And Peter goes on in verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed, hallelujah, from the empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Verse 21, through him you believe in God and raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith so that you, your faith and hope, you have faith and hope. The same God who will judge everyone impartially gave Christ for us to satisfy God's judgment against us. Our deeds and our motives were bad like everybody else. And Peter says God redeemed us by suffering judgment in our place to save us. It cost God something so immense you know, he didn't save us by the way of a, of a wand. He gave his own son to be cursed, humiliated, and tortured in our place. That's heavy. King David said this in Psalm 130, There is forgiveness with you, O God, that you may be feared. Meditating on the price of our salvation, how great the judgment of God was against us, how much he paid he made us stand in the wonder of God. It makes us afraid of being apart from him again so that we stand in awe of the treasure that he is. The price of our forgiveness makes us stand in awe. That there is nobody like our God today. There's none beside him. He is worthy of all praise that we could ever bring to him. And the body of Christ together needs to learn to stand in awe. Come on. Amen. Give Jesus a great big hand clap of praise because that's what we're talking about. Amen. It's him. It's him. 
Let's be enamored body of Christ with the awe of who God is in these days, amen? Quit looking to man. Quit looking to our government. They will not save you. It's only Jesus that has paid the price who was crushed for us and he has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? We need to get our eyes on him in these days, amen? If we're gonna persevere together, we gotta get our eyes on what's immediately in front of us and get our eyes on him. Again. Lastly, number six, love extravagantly. Can you say that with me? Love extravagantly. We need together learn to love extravagantly. Since you have been purified, you have purified yourselves, verse 22, by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincerely brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another. How? Constantly. That last command is to love. And we do that because we are a part of a new family, united by a common salvation, united by a common hope. The gospel gives us a remarkable ability to love people. Did you know that? A remarkable ability. That, that the gospel gives us patience with the flaws of others because we recognize we have a bunch of flaws. I mean, how many of you can say amen to that, right? It frees us from the tyranny of needing other people to be happy so that we can stop using them and we can start loving them. Listen, when you're codependent on somebody, you really can't love them fully. You use them. You know, when, when you need others to recognize you so that you can find meaning, that makes you nice and kind and good so that they will recognize your goodness, that means you're not doing goodness out of the overflow of your heart, but just to win their affection. So your good deeds are serving yourself, not loving them in that moment. When you need to be the best in order to feel valuable, that puts you always in competition with everybody else around you. You can't love them because what happens is you're just simply competing with them for a, for a sense of self-worth. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ gives you and I the ability to love others. We have love. Why? Because he first loved us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Verse 23. Because you have been born again. Because you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And I love this. Don't lose this because we're coming to the end. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Through the living and enduring word of God, obedience to these commands flow out of our hope in our imperishable inheritance. Obedience is fueled by our hope in Jesus Christ. And look at the last verse. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures, how long? Forever. And this word is the gospel, he ends this portion, that was proclaimed to you. That everything around us is failing. It's dying out. Even our own bodies. You realize that? The older you get, you got work in the yard, and things hurt that never used to hurt before. Right? This is day by day. It's the way it goes. 
It stinks to get old sometimes, right? You're just like, oh, man. But everything around us is, 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 is failing. It's dying out. The grass withers. The flowers fade. But the word of God stands and remains forever and ever. And he says, and this word is the gospel. This word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you and that you and I are called to proclaim to others. Everything we live for fades. Every foundation crumbles. But Christ, Peter says, is eternal. His love went farther to us than anyone had ever gone. His love will persevere longer than everything else. Compared to his love, the most permanent things on earth are like grass that appears one week and is gone the next. And Peter says, hey, have you found this hope that makes obedience to these commands easy? Have you found the hope? Have you stepped into the hope? Have you come forward in the hope? That these commands, you can do them when your hope is in Jesus Christ. So six commands to you and me today that as we take from this first chapter that I pray that you would carry with you and that you and I would live that are not easy to live, but you can do it because our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like last week, we got our focal point right. And my fear is much of the body of Christ, their focal point is not right. We have to get our focal point on Jesus Christ in these days. Come back to that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It is time, church. It is time. I'm needed a body of Christ. That's what I'm talking to you today. I'm preaching a strong word. I need a body of Christ that aren't like the cows. When the storm comes, they go and they separate and they stay in their homes and they never come out again. A disciple of Christ does not do that. You can't show me that in the word. If you can, please come to this altar and let's talk about it before we live. A disciple of Christ comes like the buffalo and they come and they run into the storm and they go at it together and they don't cower and they keep moving forward and they don't separate and they don't have disunity and they don't have strife in their midst because the word of God says he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle in these days. Are you with me? More importantly, are you with the Lord? Because this is his church. This ain't my church. This is his church. I just get to steward it with you. Together. Together in these days. There are so many people that are falling away, just like the Bible says in the last days. There's a great falling away. Uh, The great falling away won't happen where, you know, three quarters of the body of Christ won't show up on any given Sunday in the world. It's happening little by little because that's how the enemy works. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little foxes that come. It's the lies and the deceit of the devourer that is coming in these days to rob the church and the body of Christ and to rob you. And the church better know how to stand up against these things. We need to be people that are bathed in prayer with the discerning voice of the Holy Spirit in this hour that we are in. Father, You are speaking to hearts in this room. Lord, in this moment, in this this hour, Lord, I pray that we would 
get our focus on you and get our focus off others. Stop focusing ourselves on man and one another that will fail us. And may we turn our eyes upon you. Look full into your wonderful face this morning. Because you have never failed us once. And that you've promised to every believer that would come to you, Lord, that those who labor and heavy laden, that you will give rest. You today can come. Maybe this is the day of, for you to accept this invitation to follow Christ in this moment, that you can give your life to him. He, he will forgive you. He will give you new life. He'll help you through the struggles. He's probably not going to take the struggles away, but he's going to help you through the struggles. If you're broken today, he's your comforter. In this moment, as you sense maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you, <clears throat> is this the day where you're saying, you know what, yes. I want to respond to the invitation that I sense that God is pulling upon, the, tugging upon my heart to follow Christ. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up? Would you just raise your hand right now in this room and say, you know what, I'm going to respond to what God is saying in this moment. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. I see it in the back. Thank you for that hand on my right. Thank you. I see that hand. Father, I thank you for every hand that is raised right now that is responding to you, your love, your extravagant love, your goodness and your mercy. Father, this invitation, they have accepted you as Lord and Savior and that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess it in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for their lives that changed. I pray for the body of Christ in these days that we would be people that would come together, encourage each other, as your word says, pray for each other, not tear each other down but lift each other up. I pray that upon this church, this body. I pray that for those that are listening online as well. Thank you for your word that endures forever in Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.